Asia Pacific currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents. This Saturday, the 1st, 1st of July, I believe it is, start start of a new month, end of the financial year. Hopefully you've all got your Radiothon pledges and targets in, but don't forget you can still you can still pay up. I will tell you, you are listening to Asia Pacific Currents. My name is Giselle and there's this other guy in the studio with me. Yeah, that just happens to have uh, come in and just knows how to use the panel as well at the same time. Howdy, my name is Pierre and... Uh, it's a lovely frosty morning here in Melbourne. We haven't had one of these for quite a few years, so um, great to be in the warmth of the studio. But anyway, on uh, that's right. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links, and all those uh, contact details, Giselle. Yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's dot. AAWL.org.au. You can email us at AAWL at AAWL.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so find us on those social media platforms as well. And if you're so bold as to try and use a landline, you can ring us on 966-37277. And on today's program, well, before I go on today's, uh, no, I will go what today's program is. We have the usual roundup of news items from the region. We've got six items. And then in the second half of the program. Um, We're very honoured and uh, very happy to be able to speak to Bob Carnegie, who is the Secretary of the Maritime Union of Australia, Queensland branch, and he's just come back from a trip to Indonesia, so that'll be fantastic to hear back from that and also about the International Dock Workers Council that he's heavily involved in as well. So that'll be a very interesting interview, but that'll be in the second half of the program. And um, and uh, thanks to Solidarity Breakfast for another interesting program and that music that uh, you were listening to, which uh, my co-host Giselle tells me was a love song. Um, it was beautiful, Pierre. I thought it was beautiful. It was close to something by Keth Blood, so I hope you enjoyed that. But it's just on, one of the clocks is missing here. It's uh, three past nine o'clock here on your favourite community radio, 3CR Radio. We'll go straight to our news items. Uh, Giselle, you've got the first one. That's right. We're kicking off in... uh Cambodia this week. This week a new front in the war against unions opened up in Cambodia with the local beer producer Cambrew, a subsidiary of the global giant Carlsberg, taking legal action against the Cambodian Food and Service Workers Federation. The company is seeking $60,000 in compensation from the union, US dollars from the union, for a five-day strike last year by 100 workers as its warehouse facility in Sihanoukville. This legal action is a continuation of Canberra's attacks on workers trying to organise independent unions and follows on from the long-running dispute stemming from the dismissal of 11 hospitality workers in late 2015. 
The union has strongly defended the workers' rights to unionise and the struggle continues. And I would presume, Giselle, that in the in the Cambodian setting, sixty thousand US dollars would be a huge amount, and would probably go close to bankrupting the union. Uh, absolutely. I mean, sixty thousand US dollars for an Australia, for some of the smaller Australian unions would also have a significant impact. But um, yeah, that uh, it's clear that it's a tactic, a similar tactic that's being used to bankrupt unions so that they. I uh, can't defend workers' rights. But we have – sorry. Go on. We have met um, this particular union. So they um, just wanted to – and we've interviewed a number of them. Sinyet Yon is one of them. Um, Samora. Correct. So Sinyet's left that union now. But um, – uh, very strong partners of ours in Cambodia, and we have been following the Canberra dispute for well since 2015. That's right. So um, hopefully they'll be able to beat that uh, rap. But now we go to India, where um, last week tens of thousands of demonstrators took to the street in many cities around the country to protest against the increasing mob-related murders of Muslims and other minority groups in India. Many of these killings have been labelled cow terrorism, as these far right as far right gangs have used Hinduism reverence for cows as an excuse to attack and kill people. These far right groups have become more active since the election of the BJP government led by Narendra Modi, who only condemned these murders in the last couple of days. Recent investigations by human rights groups lay the blame for this rise of sectarian violence on the BJP promotion of Hindu nationalism. And certainly, Giselle, it's a very worrying trend what's happening in in India. Well, that's right. But I, I don't think we can expect Modi to be saying anything really about this because, I mean, Modi arguably, uh, was one of the architects of the massacre. Allegedly. Um, <laughs> I know, mind you. <laughs> Since when am I this careful on air? But today I felt like it. But um, I actually circulated to um, some of the comrades uh, some footage of some of these um, murders of, of Muslims. And I, uh, you know, we would certainly characterise the Modi government as fascist um, and Hindu chauvinist and uh, consistent with the the international war on Islam and Muslims. Um, one of the things that I wanted to, so when we were in India and we met with some of the um, abattoir workers, there are raids on abattoirs for the same reason. I mean, these workers are going, their job is to slaughter cows for a living. And the, some of these Hindu chauvinist mobs are going into the abattoirs and actually harassing people on, the, on that basis too. So this trend of the growth of fascism across the um, across the world is something that workers need to stand up and take notice of. And of course, just a very quick. I remember when we saw the um, we showed the film about the um, Maruti Suzuki struggle. There was a little two minute section about this gang dressed in orange who was going around the workers' living areas to supposedly clean up the area, but obviously. Uh, one can only um, see them as fascist thugs from one of these Hindu far-right groups. Moving now to Korea, last week thousands of demonstrators held a rally in central Seoul to demand the withdrawal of the Terminal High Altitude Area Defence, the TARD, military system that the US and South Korean governments had agreed to. Opposition to this new weapon system has continued to increase since its announcement earlier this year.
Activists will continue to, pro- uh, to protest to coincide with the US-South Korea summit meeting at the end of June. Commentators now believe that the new government may try to defuse the situation by instituting an environment impact assessment, which would delay the project into next year at least. Of course, we know that this is basically the US shoring up its allies in whatever war it's planning. That's right. And um, I have to say that uh, um, with this new president of the US, I think planning and um, is possibly not a word he necessarily understands. It's more of what he thinks on the spot. But anyway, it's still very dangerous. We now go to a very another very dangerous place on the other side of Asia to Yemen. The tally of more than 13,000 having been killed already, while over 5,000 new cases of cholera a day are being reported, gives an indication of, of the catastrophe that working class communities are facing in Yemen. This unprecedented cholera epidemic is the result of a brutal war that has devastated the country and destroyed the popular democratic forces that first challenged the status quo as part of the Arab Spring. This war is now part of the continuing and ongoing counter-revolutions that have destroyed other popular uprisings like in Syria. Various regional powers are now themselves engaged in a deadly competition for the spoils of war. As always, workers are the first losers in this rivalry between capitalist powers. And certainly our thoughts go to all our comrades there and um, especially all the um, millions of migrant workers. And NAIDOC Week is coming up or has just started. The first week of July in Australia is National Aborigines and Islanders Day Observance Week. It began in the 1920s when Aboriginal groups started to campaign against the discriminatory treatment that Indigenous people face. NAIDOC Week is an opportunity to continue the fight for justice for Aboriginal people. This year the theme is Our Languages Matter. The focus is to emphasise the essential role that Indigenous languages play in cultural identity, linking people to their land and water, their history, spirituality and rights through story and song. Activities are held all around Australia and there's a major rally on Friday the 7th of July in Melbourne. And also don't forget that 3CR is doing its annual Beyond the Bars broadcast from, uh, I think, seven of the um, 14 prisons in the in the state of Victoria. So stay tuned for some of that Beyond the Bars broadcasting next week and also um, hang out for the CD compilation that will be put together. And certainly those broadcasts from inside the prisons are, are, are really a unique um, uh, radio there to be able to go into, into the prisons and actually talk to the prisoners themselves and, and to hear their own voices, which, um, as most people would know, in the mass media, they are totally, totally censored. And one other thing, Giselle, about that NADOC uh, week, that March, it's now um, uh, expanding that whole thing. They're now having a festival as well at the start, which I think Great. is fantastic. Yep. So um, I um, highly recommend everyone to uh, to get there on, on Friday. It'll be um, fantastic. And our last um, item is, um, again, from Korea, where yesterday there was a um, major rally 
um, by by workers um, organised by the uh, Korea Confederation of Trade Unions, and um, and was about irregular and precarious work. And it was um, it was implemented to keep putting pressure on the on the new president of uh, of South Korea not to lose the momentum from the uh, the huge rallies from last year that ousted the the, the last president. Um, interesting, I, I saw a report that said there were 50, 57,000 people there. So, Giselle, that's very um, accurate reporting. So, um, excellent. So, we'll, um, I don't have much news because it's really just happened uh, not even 24 hours ago. So, um, we'll certainly uh, bring more news and you'll be able to um, read it in, uh, on our website um, over the next couple of days. That really brings us to the end of the news roundup. It's just all coming up to 13 past 9 o'clock you're listening to 3CR Radio Asia Pacific Currents brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worklings we'll go to a couple of, of community announcements and then we'll be back with um, Bob Carnegie the Secretary of the MUA in Queensland Australia is a crime scene unfinished business is crime. People got to understand that it was a military exercise. It was military in the first fleet. It was Captain James Cook. It was Captain Arthur Phillip. Right through the history of Australia, it's a military exercise. Our people have suffered greatly because the white man is not prepared to act honourably and legally. It's still the case in this country today. This is 3CR. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. It's just on um, 14 past 9 o'clock here on uh, Asia Pacific Current, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Workerling on your favourite community radio station, 3CR Radio. And as uh, announced at the start of the program, it's uh, a great pleasure to have with us uh, Bob Carnegie, who is the Secretary of the Maritime Union of Australia and Queensland branch. Um, good morning, Bob. Uh, good morning, comrade. How are you going? Uh, we're going very well. Thank you very much um, for agreeing to um, to speak to us here on, on a Saturday morning. It's an absolute pleasure. All right. Now, um, just to let the listeners know just um, what we're going to talk about, you've just been to Indonesia very recently, but you're also very heavily involved with a global uh, union uh, uh, federation called the International Dock Workers Council. So we'll get to that in the second half of the interview. But um, maybe you can just tell us um, what you did, um, why you went to Indonesia and uh, what you found there in your recent solidarity trip there. Okay, I went with a, a wonderful uh, Brisbane comrade, Jeff Rickett, who's a Labor historian and uh, a great uh, social activist. And we went to uh, Jakarta to 
have a fact-finding mission with the, to find out about the, the state of, uh, of some of the progressive unions in Indonesia and how the uh, what what state the progressive left was in in uh, in the country, uh, particularly in the Jakarta area. And the uh, I've left. I know the word inspired used probably far too much on the on the left in this country, but uh, the struggle of Indonesian trade unionists and the in- Indonesian left is nothing short of heroic, and it makes it makes the work that we do in Australia seem uh, sometimes even a little bit petty in uh, in comparison with the immense struggles that you know, that they're involved with in uh, in Indonesia trying to. Uh, build some type of a decent life for the Indonesian working class. And and certainly, just as a reminder for our listeners uh, of Indonesian history, they had to rebuild from zero after the massacres of uh, 65, 67 as well. Uh, absolutely. And the, and the massacres of 65, 67 uh, still hang over the left in that country very strongly. And the, the, there is, you know, the word communist is outlawed, uh, no organisation could be looked upon as a as a communist organisation or whatever. So it's it's a huge battle of the of the uh, of the left in Indonesia. But it's also uh, there, despite all those um, restraints, is that they're still fighting and they're still uh, doing everything they possibly can to keep the the cause of uh, internationalism and the cause of of solidarity alive. So. You know, the Indonesian working class, despite all the shackles that they have uh, on them, are fighting every day as inspirationally for all of us. Um, so looking at um, some of the discussions and, and what you've discovered in the, um, in the mission that you're on, what, what, are, what would you say were the major issues facing workers in Indonesia? Well, the major workers, uh, problems facing workers in Indonesia are actually very similar major issues uh, facing workers today in Australia, casualisation, uh, uh, insecurity of employment, but it's magnified, on, uh, any union employers, but it's simply magnified on a on a level that we simply, I think the average Australian trade unionist doesn't simply understand is that uh, workers uh, also struggle to get uh, a fair and equitable uh, minimum wage in Java itself is is a huge battle because there are different parities. The disparity in, uh, in the average uh, minimum wage outcome right throughout uh, Indonesia where different areas are paid almost 50% less than what, for example, workers in Jakarta are paid. And employers are now moving from Jakarta to other potential jobs, for instance, to avoid paying uh, even the Jakarta minimum wage, which is... Um, about 350 Australian dollars a month. So in terms of um, of what you saw in your time there, and you said um, you were very in- inspired, were there um, issues or lessons or techniques that you saw that the trade unions, the, the worker activists were using in uh, Indonesia that, that really hit you and then you said, wow, that's, you know, that's really serious or that's uh, really quite phenomenal what they're doing or, you know, oh, we could use that? Well, yes, like uh, uh, simply the fact that, you know, look, I've, I've walked, worked in and around uh, the trade union movement for most of my life as a rank and file activist, as an elected official, 
um, uh, as a and fundamentally a little bit of an outsider on the in the trade union movement, even when I've been an elected official. But the way that they're operating in in Indonesia, for example, uh, most of the the leadership uh, are not paid, or they just work at their job, and they organise this trade union at, on the, at night time, and on their one day off they have a week. Uh, they um, work in a way that's very inclusive. One example is this: we had a, a Jeff and myself were asked to speak at a, a meeting of one of the trade union confederations called CASB. It was held on a, a Saturday afternoon. Uh, there were about 40 or so uh, workers present. And when the leadership introduced themselves, the entire 40 other workers that were present all introduced themselves and said what they did in their other factories or their places of work or whatever. And I thought that was just amazing because, you know, how many how many times do you ever go to a, a trade union meeting in Australia and everyone there present? Uh, actually gets up and says what they do and what they're, you know, what they're trying to accomplish. It's a, it was a real, uh, for me, uh, a real lesson in uh, working class rank and file democracy. It I is, it, the, it is know, extraordinary, the, isn't it, uh, Bob? When you consider um, the, the what's at risk for people in forming genuine unions in a place like Indonesia or Jakarta, where you were, yeah. um, and. And what we almost take for granted here in our union structures, and then that level of democracy that's required to actually build something like that. Yeah, it's, it's Giselle, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Giselle. Look, what? Uh, look, I, I made this comment that uh, I've actually reflected on when I was at, at uh, throughout the meetings that we had, and and I think it's quite accurate. The the richer financially and materially trade unions have got in the West is to some respect the weaker we have become uh, internally and in our rank and file activity and the poorer the rank and file unions are in the developing world and what I saw in Indonesia the richer they are spiritually so there's, there's actually in the trade union movement in this country at the present time and I know a lot of people won't agree with this particularly people in leaderships of unions but uh, is that we're suffering a bit of a spiritual de- a spiritual deficit at the present time, and we really have to address that. And uh, we're having a major uh, state conference of the MUA in in November, and uh, we're making sure that some Indonesian uh, trade union activists and social activists will be there because their story is just one that it, that has to be told and has to be. They're very interesting uh, words, uh, Bob, and I think uh, it certainly resonates with a lot of labour activists here in Australia. And I just want to take those words as those sentiments and look at the issue of international solidarity because, as you've said, the you know the struggles, the issues are the are the same, and you're certainly very involved in the International Docks, Dock Workers Council. So maybe you can explain a little bit to our listeners. What is the International Dock Workers Council, their history? And then we'll explore a bit how do we go forward to actually build um, genuine international solidarity? Okay, look, I'm really 
proud of the work that uh, I'm involved in within the uh, International Dock Workers Council, and it's in my over 40 years of involvement since I was a, a young lad of 15 when I first uh, started in uh, as a rank and file trade unionist. Is that it is the most wonderful organisation I've been involved in. It's a com- it's uh, built on flat syndicalist structures that we represent around 140 to, to very soon will be 150,000 dock workers around the world. Uh, it was formed after the, the the tragedy and the debacle of the uh, 1996 to 1999 Liverpool dock workers strike where the Liverpool dock workers were sold out by their own union, the Transport and General Workers Union and also the International Transport Federation. And out of that came the desire of rank-and-file dock workers around the world that uh, that should never happen again. Uh, and out of the uh, that has come the IDC, and the International Dock Workers Council. Uh, 140 to 150,000 rank-and-file dockers and the unions we represent. We have uh, the bureaucracy of the IDC consists of one and a half people. We have one full-time uh person working in the Secretariat, uh, and we have Geordie uh, Abwande, who is the, uh, the lead coordinator of the IDC, and he works half his time as as doing his IDC work, and his other half of his time is spent as a rank-and-file docker in Barcelona. So you compare that to most other organisations of that size, is that the bureaucracy would be enormous, whereas with ours it's simply one and a half people. That's right. That that's um, uh, it's certainly a stark comparison. So, in terms of uh, international solidarity, I mean, here at Australia Asia Worklinks, we've yep. uh, worked a lot in trying to link, but also organise workers around the world together because the economy now is is global. And while our history is basically built on on the local workplace, the workplace now is is global. Is that maybe how the IDC now uh, views organising as well? Absolutely. It's, exact, it's, it's exactly how we view organising. Uh, my union uh, nationally is, is not uh, affiliated with the International Dock Workers Council. Only uh, the Queensland branch and the Sydney branch of the MUA is affiliated with it. That's because of uh, uh, the president of the Maritime Union in Australia, uh, the president of the ITF Worldwide, as Paddy Crumlin is also the Maritime Union Secretary. There is a certain amount of uh, working class tension between the two organisations because uh, um, the IDC presents a model that is very much different. However, we always try to work together. But uh, the International Dock Workers Council, in my way, is, should be the model that is is taken up by uh, trade unions and working uh, workers everywhere because it. We see that by defending dock workers, we have to defend workers everywhere. Dockers, uh, 90% of everything we wear, everything we drive, everything we have is transported across the wharf in a 20-foot or a 40-foot container. So it gives dock workers a unique uh, uh, point of power in the capitalist production chain. And that is why dock workers are consistently under attack by the uh, 
by capitalist forces and the massive transnational transport giants because they want to break the unique uh, power that we have on the dock because it's a, it's a choke point within the capitalist supply chain. Um, but uh, with wonderful solidarity, particularly uh, the way the Spanish have shown us, the Spanish dockers have just last night signed off on, a, a, you know, with, with the Spanish employers after being under massive attack. Um, they look like they've struck a deal that will will see them through after it, uh, it looked like uh, the Spanish employers and the Spanish state were going to uh, send the army in and try to trample the rights of the Spanish dock workers. But uh, so um, I think that there, the, that, that flat syndicalist structure, the idea that an injury to one is an injury to all, the idea that if they touch one of us, they touch all of us, is absolutely the only way that workers anywhere in the trade union movement and workers in the working class movement anywhere are going to go ahead. These old monolithic bureaucratic structures are simply a death knell to uh, to to a vibrant international working class movement. With all due respect, uh, some of these massive trade union bureaucracies. There is more to the life of a worker than sitting around a table in Geneva talking to the ILO. You know what I mean? Um, that was the, that was such an extraordinary note to finish on. I mean, that is just re-resurrecting genuine structures, not just in the Australian Union movement, but yep. internationally. Yep. Bob, we are absolutely out of time. That's I'm so I sorry. Know. And I've got so many other questions, but I can't ask them. Can, can I just also say, look, the work that uh, WAWL does uh, is in itself inspirational for a, for a working-class activist like myself. Uh, I know how difficult it is with you guys and about how you run a wonderful organisation on a shoestring and uh, whatever we can do to, to make things a tiny little bit easier and work together closer that uh, we, we would love to. All right, well, okay. thanks for those uh, words, uh, Bob. And, and look, we'll certainly have you on um, in future because there's, uh, you've raised so many issues there and we, can, we could really um, explore lots of other issues, but we really, unfortunately, okay. we actually not only ran out of time, we're over time. Okay, I'm very sorry. No, 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 don't be sorry. Thank you very much, Bob. We wish you all the best and we'll okay. certainly have you back. Okay, thank you. And I apologise for my dog barking in the background. <laughs> That's fine. It's, it's good okay. background Bye. noise. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Bob Carnegie, Secretary of the MUA uh, Queensland branch, speaking about his recent um, discovery tour. What was the word? I can't. Solidarity trip trip to to Indonesia to look at the state of the unions there. We are absolutely out of time. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Coming up next, Palestine Remembered. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morris. Stay tuned to 3CR Radio. We'll be back. Have a great day. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.